This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey everybody, my name is Jessica and you're listening to Monster Books Podcast, the podcast where we talk about kids horror books that adult horror fans will love. We might be double dipping a little bit today. I've already had an episode talking about middle grade ghost stories. I've talked before on the show about how middle grade is where my heart lies and how much I love graphic novels. So we're going to dive into a couple of titles today. The reason I'm returning to ghost stories partly is just because I love ghost stories. It's you know, haunted house fiction and ghost fiction is probably my favorite subgenre of horror. So, you know, I'm always going to return to my favorites. And also, more than certain other subgenres, I think that kids' books and middle grade books in particular like to explore ghost stories more. I think part of that has to do with the fact that, though of course people deal with loss and grief at any age, I think middle grade which is usually like 8 to 12 years old is the age range we're talking here. That's when kids really start to learn what it means when someone dies, what it means when they lose someone in their life. That's when, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, but that's when I think kids start to really understand what death means in a way that makes sense to them and in a way that feels more adult than, say, obviously like a toddler's conception of death. So the fact that kids start to understand death a little more as they get older, that might be why a lot of authors like dealing with stories about grief and loss and ghost stories at this age. You know, I've mentioned before, one of the things I really like about middle grade is kids figuring things out on their own, kids discovering things, kids working through trauma and kids working through anxieties. And this is really a good age to handle that from the perspective of death. The two titles I've chosen today really couldn't be more different. Uh, One of them does deal directly with grief and loss and death, and one of them is the polar opposite, is really snarky and goofy and funny, but they both have ghosts at the center of the story. So I really like this as a way to contrast both what middle grade fiction is capable of and what graphic novels are capable of. So I'm excited to talk to you about it today. I also like how versatile ghost stories are in terms of, you know, when a lot of people think of ghosts, they think of a person who has died and is remaining in our realm as a spirit. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes that's a friendly ghost, you know, your Caspers and such. Uh, Sometimes that's a malevolent spirit, a haunting where a ghost wishes you ill. But that's not always the case. There are a lot of books out there where authors take really interesting approaches to ghosts. Sometimes the ghost is the protagonist. Sometimes a person haunts themselves. There's a YA book that I'll, I'd like to talk about down the road where that is very much the case, um, but I won't get into that. I won't uh, stray too far afield. We're just going to talk about these two books today. But I do like the diversity and all the different ways you can explore ghost stories. Like I said, this is the second time on this so far brief run of this podcast where I've talked about middle grade ghost stories, but there's just so much to explore for this age range and for this topic that I really felt it was worth coming back to, especially with these two books, because I love these books a lot. And they're so vastly different. I think there's something here for everybody. Even if you don't necessarily like the sound of one of these books, it's just not your taste. I 
think the other one will probably appeal to you. I hope that it does. So we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to start first with a book called Camp Midnight. Uh, the author is Stephen T. Siegel, and the illustrator is Jason Adam Katzenstein. As always, we're going to start with the synopsis on this one. Reluctant Skye is accidentally sent to the wrong summer camp. Not wanting to please her step monster, Skye is dead set on not fitting in. That won't be a problem, as everyone at Camp Midnight, with the exception of fellow camper and fast friend Mia, is a full-fledged monster. Can Skye keep her secret identity as a human hidden until she catches her bus for home? And if Skye and Mia fear monsters, what exactly is it that monsters are afraid of? One of the other things that this book has in common with the one I'm going to talk about later is this is the first in a series. The I've read the sequel to this one. I will admit that I wasn't as big a fan of the sequel as I was of this book, but it's still quite good. But with that said, Camp Midnight is just zany, wacky fun. If any of you out there, you know, related to Lydia Dietz as a kid, I myself am, am strange and unusual. My whole life is a dark room. If you were kind of the goth kid, the spooky kid, I think this will be something that you really love. She's really sarcastic. She's really snarky. And when her dad and her stepmother, whom she calls her step monster, decide to ship her off to summer camp, they show up at the local high school. They meet the buses. This is not a phenomenon I'm familiar with. So, you know, if there are any listeners out there who experience this, you can let me know, you know, whether this is normal or not. But evidently, you know, there were a bunch of different summer camps that all met up in this parking lot and different buses take you to different camps. It's supposed to go to Camp Daybright, but she gets on the bus headed to Camp Midnight instead. And Camp Midnight is a camp for monsters. Monster kids can let their hair down, let their tentacles down, let their fangs out, transform into werewolves, be themselves for the summer with all the other monster kids. It's a really cool idea. I think a lot of us spooky kids, a lot of us horror fans, love the idea of being able to stay at Camp Midnight for the summer. I certainly would rather hang out with banshees and vampires and witches than make lanyards all summer long. Not that there's anything wrong with making lanyards, but you know, if you give me a choice between making macaroni art or hanging out with witches and goblins and all kinds of spooky creatures of the night. I'm going to pick the creatures of the night, to be honest with you. I think a lot of you out there would agree with me on that one. But when Skye gets on the bus and gets to the camp, she realizes that she and her friend Mia are the only normal kids, quote unquote. They're the only ones who aren't monsters. So she has to pretend that she's the scariest monster in the world so she doesn't get eaten by all these horrifying creatures that surround her. It's a classic setup for a comedy of errors. It's a classic setup for a farce, which is a lot of fun. It fits in a lot with Katzenstein's artwork, which is really wild and kind of chaotic. You know, it's not it's not busy. It's not hard to read. It, it reads well, but there's a sense of this kind of frantic energy to it that's really engaging. Uh, it fits in well with the fast-paced humor, with the creepiness of the camp. The, the backgrounds aren't really heavily defined. They're kind of sketchy and creepy and spooky and a hint at what might be out there in the woods surrounding the monster camp. There's really a sense of anarchy to it uh, with the colors 
and just how sketchy and zany it is, which is an, an aesthetic that I really respond to well. And I think it fits well with this story because, you know, Skye is trying her best to pretend to be this fearsome monster and all the other monsters are kind of on to her <laughs> and kind of saying, you know, what, calling her bluff saying, well, show us what you got, creepy monster, because everybody else is, like I said, bearing their fangs and taking off the costumes that they use to fit in with all the quote unquote normal kids the rest of the year. But Sky realizes that just being herself and being the weird kid that she is, is enough. And that might sound kind of after school special, but you know, after school specials are, they exist for a reason. They do have good messages sometimes. Sometimes the, the method by which they convey those messages can be cheesy, but this is not a cheesy book. It's not a sentimental book. It, it can be kind of heartwarming at times, but the snarky humor and that chaotic artwork override any cheesiness that might be there in the message because it's really fast paced and it's really funny. And I think it's really relatable for people who, you know, I think we were all monster kids. All, all of us horror fans kind of grew up feeling like we didn't fit in with the other kids. We were all Wednesday Adams at summer camp trying to <laughs> deal with all the perky people around us. And Or maybe you're a horror fan and you are perky, but you still kind of felt like you didn't fit in. Everybody even if you're not a horror fan, has felt it sometime like they didn't fit in. And this book is one that lets you know there's always a place for you. No matter how much you think you don't fit in, there is always a place for you. You can find your people if you are just yourself. It sounds really basic. It sounds like it could be a sickly sweet story with a, a core message of just be yourself and you will make friends. But it's true, you know? If you let your real personality shine through and you talk about the things that you like, you will find other people who feel the same way and act the same way as you do. You know, Sky learns that there's no shooting star, the more you know moment, but there is a lot of, there is a lot of heart in it. There's a lot of humor. It's really funny. There are some really creepy moments, you know, outside of the franchise that shall not be named. It's the only kids book I can remember where there's just a rogue basilisk roaming around. And there there are also some meta jokes in there, especially for comic book fans. If you're a fan of old school comics, there's one panel in particular that will get a big belly laugh from you, I promise. It, it, well, it, it got one from me anyway. I'll say that. Um, I really appreciated Katzenstein's nod to classic comic fans there. So this is definitely something that, though it's written for kids, adult fans will appreciate this too, not just for those in-jokes that perhaps kids won't get, but also because that's an evergreen message. You know, it never gets easier, I don't think, to make friends. In fact, as an adult, it gets harder to make friends. T to me, it's easier to make friends when you're a kid and to maintain friendships in grade school. Once you become an adult and you're on your own and you're trying to figure out, you know, how to have these interpersonal relationships and how to find them, that's when it gets tough. So this is a good message for adults too. Just as simple as it sounds, it might sound cheesy, but to, to be yourself, to love yourself, and to let your uniqueness shine through, that's how you find your people. That's how you find your friends. Especially if you are a monster kid and you're people are monster kids. It's kind of an endearing story for horror fans who might feel a little out of place, who want to read something funny and creepy and also be a little less lonely, especially in, I'm sure I'm dating the podcast by mentioning the pandemic, but especially in the middle of a pandemic when people are feeling so isolated. It's a good book to read and kind of get that nostalgia for making friends as a kid and 
also having the hope that you can make friends as an adult as well. So I always recommend this book, but I think it's a really good pandemic read. It's really fast too. If you're looking for something quick and funny and wild and zany to read, I highly recommend Camp Midnight. Now for something completely different. We're going to talk about Sheets by Brenna Thumbler. There's actually a sequel to this one coming out quite soon, um, but this came out in 2018. It was absolutely one of my favorite books of 2018. I think this is a brilliant book. It is not so much scary as it is sad, but as we all know, horror doesn't have to be scary. There are lots of different ways to tell a horror story without being terrifying there are different qualities of scary. You know, a low sense of dread or a, a sense of unease, eeriness, those are totally valid ways of expressing horror that aren't necessarily things that go bump in the night or jump scares, which are also valid. You know, there are a lot of different ways to scare people and there are a lot of different ways to tell horror stories. And Sheets is one of my favorite examples of melancholy horror. I'm a big fan of that kind of book and that kind of movie. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about the the synopsis first for Sheets by Brenna Thumbler, who is the artist and the illustrator. And the synopsis reads, Marjorie Glatt feels like a ghost, a practical 13-year-old in charge of the family laundry business. Her daily routine features unforgiving customers, unbearable PE classes, and the fastidious Mr. Saubertuck, who is committed to destroying everything she's worked for. Wendell is a ghost. A boy who lost his life much too young, his daily routine features ineffective death therapy, a sheet-dependent identity, and a dangerous need to seek purpose in the forbidden human world. When their worlds collide, Marjorie is confronted by unexplainable disasters as Wendell transforms Glatt's laundry into his midnight playground, appearing as a mere sheet during the day. While Wendell attempts to create a new afterlife for himself, he unknowingly sabotages the life that Marjorie is struggling to maintain. In most ways, this is kind of the polar opposite of Camp Midnight. The illustrations are really gorgeous and really moody in an interesting way. Like it's kind of a kind of a pastel noir feel, kind of. There's these really lovely soft pinks and purples and blues, but it still kind of feels like as colorful as the art is, the color has been drained out of this world because Marjorie is kind of holding her whole family together after her mother dies. And we see her grieve for her mother while she's raising her little brother. Her father has pretty much abdicated his role as a parent. Um, Her father is so caught up in his grief that he can't function. He can't run his family business. He can't um, he can't function as a parent. He's just so caught up in his grief that he he doesn't know how to keep going with life. And Marjorie, recognizing that even if you don't feel like you can keep going, you have to because there's no other option. She is going to school, raising her brother, paying bills, taking care of the family business, which is a laundromat. She is doing everything she can as a young girl, a young woman, to hold her life together for herself and her family. And I apologize if I'm getting a little choked up talking about it. It's hitting a little close to home because I've had a recent loss in my family. But it, that that should tell you, you know, this book came out two and a half years ago. 
and I read it back then and I'm getting teary-eyed just talking about it because it's a really beautiful book that looks at grief in a really quiet way. It shows how destructive grief can be and how suffocating it can be no matter how you respond to it. Some people retreat from the world. Some people keep going in the world even though they wish they could retreat. And it's a really sweet and quiet look at what the loss of a loved one does to a family. And again, I apologize for getting emotional about it, but it's, uh, it's hitting a little close to home in the moment. But contrary to what you might suspect, um, this is not a story about Marjorie's mother's ghost. This is a story about Wendell, uh, the ghost of a little boy who lives in the world of ghosts, but he wants to come and play in the world of humans. And, you know, you've got the stereotypical image of a ghost with the white sheet with two holes cut out for the eyes, like a costume from It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Picture that. Since Marjorie runs a laundromat, she gets a lot of sheets in her laundromat. And as you can imagine, ghosts running amok somewhere where a bunch of sheets need to be cleaned can cause some problems. So Wendell unknowingly starts ruining Marjorie's business. She has the Mr. Saubertuck is the the villain in the piece. He's this Scooby-Doo villain who wants to force out Marjorie and her family so he can buy their property for cheap and then resell it. And he's just so oily. He's so sleazy. He's so horrible. I'm not criticizing the book at all when I say he's a Scooby-Doo villain. He's just so perfectly drawn as this odious businessman who doesn't care about Marjorie's family at all. He just wants to make money. He doesn't care about their loss. He doesn't care that they're struggling. He just wants to make his money and get out. He does not care about people at all. And it's just, you know, I've said twice now that he's a Scooby-Doo villain, but that's not unrealistic for a landlord or anybody else who operates you know, flipping properties or anybody else who operates in capitalism to be that money grubbing and to be that heartless and cruel. We've seen that happen. We see that happen every day. So just because I say that he's a Scooby-Doo villain does not mean that it's unrealistic or that it's poorly drawn because that is not the case at all. It's a really, it's really good character work. I really like his character design because you know right away who this guy is. He will do anything it takes to make money no matter who he hurts in the process because we know, I think most of us know from experience that that is a real life phenomenon. So, um, but we've got our villain, but we've also got our hero. Marjorie is the hero here. She, she is dealing with far more than anybody should have to deal with, especially at her age. And she does it with as much grace as possible. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable to watch. Um, I have not reread this book since my own loss in my family. I don't know that I am ready to read it again anytime soon. So just a heads up, if you have experienced a recent loss, this might be something that you put on your to be read list and you just hold off on it for a while, or maybe reading it would be cathartic for you. I don't know. I don't, I, I can't tell you what to do there, but I just want you to be aware of it. You know, I never want people to read things that are going to hurt them. I never want people to be emotionally damaged by my recommendations. So if it's not the right time for you to read this book, I understand completely. I don't think I could read it right now. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. But it is a book 
that I will revisit often because it's really beautiful. The art is beautiful. I personally respond a lot just to the color palette. Like I mentioned, it's this interesting kind of muted pastel color palette that's really beautiful. And the art is really expressive. And the, just there's this, uh, this sense of melancholy that underscores the whole book that I really respond to. I really like that because it makes perfect sense that a, a ghost story would be melancholy. You're dealing with people who aren't with us anymore, who aren't living anymore. Even if their spirits are there, there is still that sense of loss. So I, it makes perfect sense to me for ghost stories to be bittersweet and to have that sense of melancholy underneath everything. There's always sadness with loss. So as opposed to camp midnight with, you know, wild and zany potato sack races with gremlins and witches. In Sheets, we've got the study of grief and the study of loss and the story of friendship as Marjorie and Wendell discover each other and realize that they are not enemies. It's also a really good look at mental health. Marjorie obviously is depressed. Her, her father is very depressed. As I recall, he struggles with alcoholism. If, if that is incorrect, I apologize. But as I recall, he kind of self-medicates to deal with the grief. He shuts himself off from his family and just drinks to deal with the fact that he lost his wife and he doesn't know what to do to help his kids. Um, it is not judgmental in its depiction of mental health. It is not judgmental in its depiction of addiction. It just shows people struggling. It shows people who went through an unthinkable loss and just don't know what to do with themselves now. If you, you don't know how you're going to react to losing someone like that until it happens and there's no good way to handle it uh marjorie's doing her best but it's uh it's always harder than you think and there's a lot of sensitivity and a lot of compassion in this book which i appreciated at the time and i'm sure i will appreciate even more the next time i read it because like i said this is a book i will revisit often because it's really beautiful it's really mature it's something I do think is a universal message. I think it's important for kids to see this book, to know that, you know, if you lost someone and you're struggling, that's okay. That's normal. It's something adults need to see too. If you have lost someone and you're struggling, that's okay. Everybody experiences loss. Everyone experiences death and it is never easy. It's always hard. It's always tragic, but there is beauty in the world, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. And that's one of the best parts about this book is finding the beauty in the world after suffering a loss like that. I really can't recommend this book enough. Sheets by Brenda Thumbler. Like I said, there is a sequel coming out. Um, it's called Delicates. The release date is March 23rd of 2021. I am very excited to read it and if you want to pick up both books at the same time, I'd highly recommend it because based on sheets, I have nothing but the highest expectations for delicates based on the cover, at least. It's got the same art style, the same color palette, which I really like. It's really unique for this kind of story, especially, and in kids' books. There's just something that really I really respond to in her, the, the interesting way she uses pastels. It's just, it's such a cool color palette to me. I think I talk about it on the show a lot whenever I get to talking about graphic novels. I'm, I love colorists. I love color theory in books and I love talking about artist color palettes. And I, I, I think Brenda Thumbler's is really cool. I really like it a lot. It's kind of a sweetness, kind of a 
like a sad candy shop is a good way to describe it. There's a sweetness, but there's a sadness to it. So those are my two middle grade graphic novel ghost story recommendations. Like I said, they could not be more different from one another. Camp Midnight is goofy, zany, funny, snarky, irreverent, fast-paced, just wild fun. And Sheets is meditative and slow and sensitive and very serious, very kind and compassionate. It's a study of grief. It's a study of depression. Both of the books are about friendship and about kind of discovering yourself in a new context. Sheets, that context is a huge loss in your life. And Camp Midnight is being shuffled off to a summer camp for monsters. <laughs> so they're a little different. But, you know, there's a core message about being true to yourself and being loyal to your friends and accepting that you're okay as you are, you know. No, it's okay if you're weird. It's okay if a horrible thing has happened to you. You're okay as you are. All you can do is move forward and do the best you can as yourself. So I highly recommend both of these books. I will probably do even more ghost stories in the future. I've got a, a YA ghost story episode planned in the future because that I'm excited about. But I just, I really wanted to talk about these two books and I'm going to apologize again. I did not anticipate getting quite as emotional as I did about Sheets. And if you didn't notice the quaver in my voice, then that's a good thing. I probably shouldn't have even called attention to it, but I felt the need to. And the fact that I got emotional is probably just a testament to how good Sheets is. It's a really beautiful book that I highly recommend to anybody. And I might take my own advice. I might revisit it to see if it's cathartic for me as someone who just suffered a loss. I, I'm not sure yet. We'll see. But that's the beauty of books. You can visit them when you want to, and you can set them aside and come back to them. The books, not to get to live, laugh, love on you, but books are friends that will never let you down. You can always pick them back up 10, 20, 30 years later if you need to, and they will be there for you. They will be there waiting. So if it's something that you can't handle right now, if you've lost someone too, and you just, you don't really want to deal with the grief and the depression right now, read Camp Midnight. It's fun. It's hilarious. It's wacky. All the monster kids out there will see themselves in Sky and appreciate how much fun it is to be at a monster camp. Or if you're in the mood for something contemplative and beautiful and compassionate and sensitive and melancholy, then try Sheets or try both. I'd love to hear what you think. You know, as always, if you check out these books and you have thoughts you'd like to share, let me know. I'm at Monster Books Pod on Twitter. I love talking about books. I love getting recommendations from people. If you have a graphic novel, especially, or a ghost story you think I should read based on these recommendations, please let me know. I'm always on the lookout for new books to read. Rate the podcast, review, subscribe. I would love to hear from you guys, and I really appreciate you listening. This has been Monster Books Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and thank you so much. Keep it creepy, kids.
Squad.